0: Yes, Welcome to Greek Like Me, the podcast about all things Greek for Greeks, Hellenophiles, and anybody who's interested in learning about other cultures. I'm your host, Pamela Darides Wood. Email us at stealthgreek at gmail.com to share comments, questions, and stories about Greeks, Greekness, or your own ethnic background. In today's episode, pronunciation of names of most of the Greek gods, poets, and places will be the westernized version to avoid confusion. This doesn't mean I accept the way Western translators totally butchered the names, but this is how the majority populations of the world know them. Ekati, Greek goddess of sorcery, witchcraft, ghosts, crosswords, the night. Mother of the monster Scylla, as in Scylla and Charybdis, destroyers of sailors patron deity of sorceresses like Medea, who murdered without conscience. Dark, mysterious, goddess summoned by those bearing a grudge to curse their enemies. Ekati is worthy of a Halloween episode, but she didn't start out that way. Scholars believe Ekati, or Hecate, is one of the few ancient Greek gods who may have been borrowed from Greece's neighbors, or not. She might have originally come from the Carrions, where she was the goddess of heaven, earth, and sea. Carians were ancient inhabitants of a southwestern region of Hellenized Anatolia, which had a large Greek population. But the Brooklyn Museum is one of many saying, Ecati originated in Thrace, which is now parts of Bulgaria, Greece, and Turkey, as the goddess of wilderness and childbirth. And that was her first manifestation in Greece. Miletos, an ancient Greek city in Anatolia, produced possibly the earliest archaeological evidence of the worship of Ekati, a 6th century BCE circular sacrificial altar. There is no avoiding the topic of sacrificial altars and ancient Greek gods. The ultimate source on Greek mythology is the 8th century BCE poet Isiodos, also known as Hesiod, because Western scholars can't pronounce Greek apparently. His most famous work, Theogony, is a kind of family tree and origin story of the Greek gods. Ecati was the only child of the titans Asteria, the goddess of falling stars, astrology, and divination, and Persis, the god of destruction. From them, she received the power over parts of heaven, earth, and sea. When Zeus and his siblings, the Olympians, fought to overthrow the titans and take power, Eccati fought on the side of the Olympians. She was the only Titan to do so, and the only one to maintain power in the world of the Olympians, with the exception of Ilios, the sun god. Isiodes, Isiodos says Eccati was honored above all others by Zeus, the new king of the gods, for he gave her gifts that were glorious, to have a part of earth as hers, and a part of the barren sea, with a place also in starry heaven, and is thus exalted exceedingly even among immortals. She had the respect of all the gods and special powers gifted by Zeus, which were actually her original powers to begin with, but okay. Ekati could grant good luck, success, wealth, strength in battle, victory in athletic competition, wisdom to those giving judgment, ease in childbirth. She was prayed to by farmers, shepherds, and those who made their living on the sea. All that was needed from the humble petitioner, says Isiodos, was a handsome sacrifice, respectful invocation of the name of the goddess, and she grants him success, for hers is the power to do this. Robert Graves wrote extensively on Greek mythology, and in his best-known work, The Greek Myths, he says, Zeus himself honors Ekati so greatly that he never denies her the ancient power, which she has always enjoyed, of bestowing on mortals or withholding from them any desired gift. The granting or withholding of gifts already makes her sound a little ominous. Maybe that's why she's referred to as the deity capable of both good and evil. Don't piss off Ekati. All variations of her origin story in Greek mythology cite her as the goddess of childbirth, and Zeus made her a protector of children in general. But she was also the goddess of ikos, meaning home or household. And greekmythology.com says she was universally honored in the household as a protective goddess who brought prosperity. The average ancient Greek home had a shrine to Akati with a small statue of the goddess, maybe a votive with her image on it, or the space for a candle and offerings of food. Some academics say little was known about Ekati before Isiodos. The poet came from a region that may have had a stronger following of the goddess, and he spread her fame with his writings. She's not mentioned in Homer's Iliad or Odyssey, even though Homer's believed to have been a contemporary. Ekati appears to have become more popular with artisans after Isiodos appearing more often on pottery, sculptures, and engravings. Yet another archaeological find in Athens, also dating back to the late 6th century BCE, is an 8-inch terracotta votive depicting a seated wearing a crown. This was only a couple of decades after Isiodus's death. Maybe it's like Captain America. He was a long-time Marvel hero who didn't make it as a cultural icon until the blockbuster movie came out. Ekati is an important character in the Homeric hymn to Dimitra. And it's here that the shift from goddess of wilderness, childbirth, and prosperity to the goddess of crossroads in the underworld has begun. It's the story of Demeter, Dimitra, the goddess of the harvest, and her frantic nine-day search for her missing daughter, Persephone. Persephone has vanished. Ekati hears her screams for help though she doesn't know who's in trouble. She comes out of her nearby cave in time to see the figure of a girl and the chariot she's imprisoned in disappear from broad daylight into the dark. Ekati and the sun deity Ilios are the only ones to witness Persephone's abduction by the lord of the underworld, Hades. Hades was looking for a wife and pretty sweet-tempered Persephone looked pretty good to a perpetually foul-humored introvert. So he snatched her away from the light away from the flowers and the trees, down into the land of darkness, the land of the dead, where others couldn't follow. Dimitria calls Zenekati to go with her to force Ilios to confirm what he's seen. Ilios, being one of the bros, didn't want to volunteer to snitch on another god for being a stalker, a rapist. I mean, guys. And the CEO, Zeus, was apparently in on it, wanting to help a fellow perv out. Ilios' testimony in Dimitria's prayers shame him into allowing her to resume the search for her child in hell. Ekati, who is now envisioned as a young woman carrying torches through the dark of night, promises to help Dimitra find Persephone. She guides the heartsick mother into the depths of the underworld, carrying her flaming torches in front of her. Hades knew they were coming for him, and I guess he knew this goddess duo would not be defeated, so he tricks into eating six pomegranate seeds without her understanding that this would condemn her to the underworld. Pomegranate seeds symbolize the permanence of marriage, the shift from girlhood to womanhood, so maybe representing marital relations. Now she cannot escape Hades. She's doomed to be his companion through eternity. But Dimitra is having none of it. And when she's forced to return to the surface without her child, she refuses to allow the trees to bear fruit and the fields to produce grain, and the people of the earth who worship the gods of Olympus suffer. Zeus finally intervenes, but, according to Homer, it is Hecate who brokers the deal with the Dark Lord. Hades doesn't want to compromise, but gods cannot exist without people to worship them and bring them offerings, so he has no choice. Peer pressure works on gods, too. The deal is, Persephone will be escorted from the underworld by Ekati to join her mother for part of the year. And during that time, Dimitra's joy will be expressed with greenery and abundance of fruits and grain. And Persephone will be escorted back to the underworld, back to her captor husband for the rest of the year. When the harvest is done and the plants wither to reflect Dimitra's grief. Ecati cements her reputation as a goddess of the underworld, according to Graves, by offering to make sure that this agreement was kept and to keep constant watch on Hades' bride. Which makes her sound like Persephone's jailer or Hades' minion, but Graves says Persephone prefers the company of Ecati, goddess of witches, to Hades. In the Homeric hymn, Ecati embraced Dimitri's daughter many times, and from that time the goddess was her attendant and companion. The royal wedding has been acknowledged. There's no backing out. Hades is bound to his part of the deal by Ekati's promise, and Dimitria and her daughter can bear Posifoni's part of the deal by having her rescuer stay with her during her long months of captivity. Ekati becomes the right hand of the new queen of the underworld. Ekati, who has been revered as a lucky goddess, a goddess watching over childbirth in the wilderness, Has become a goddess both respected and feared, or more respected and feared than she was before, because she charged into the underworld where no one else could venture and from where no one escapes, and played tough negotiator with everyone's least favorite and most feared powerful being, Hades. She protected the vulnerable child of a goddess. She showed heart and compassion, something the Olympians didn't ordinarily have a penchant for. And she was a total badass. From here, Ekati's legend as a dark and mysterious goddess took root and grew. She was depicted on pottery or in statues with her famous torch and keys now, the keys to the underworld. Only she could pass easily between the living world and the world of the dead. Those entering the underworld typically did not leave. She appears as a character in the ancient Greek tragedies as an underworld deity now. She becomes the mistress of Cerberus, the terrifying monstrous three-headed dog that guards the gates of the underworld. In most representations of her from here on, Ekati is accompanied by packs of barking dogs because of their association with the dead. It's been surmised that because dogs were known to eat the unburied dead on occasion, like on battlefields. Later, the dogs became hellhounds. Now the household shrine to Ekati is more about warding off evil and protecting household members from witchcraft. Because she has the keys to the gates of the underworld, Ekati becomes the guardian of doorways where her blessing for her protection may also be invoked. This may be another reason for her association with dogs as domesticated dogs were used to guard the entrance to homes and other important places from unwanted visitors. Even though she doesn't appear in the Odyssey, Ecati's story is linked to the aftermath of the Trojan War, particularly to the wife of the king on the losing side. In Homer's epic poem, after Troy had been destroyed and the men in its royal house slaughtered, and a daughter sacrificed to the tomb of Achilles and another sent off to be a concubine, Queen Hecuba is made a slave to the Greek general Odysseus. Legend takes the story further. Many tell the story of Queen Hecuba throwing herself into the sea after Troy falls or throwing herself into the sea from Odysseus's ship rather than live as his slave. Either way, Ecati, feeling compassion for Hecuba, turns her into a black dog as she enters the water, saving her life, and takes her as a companion. Another legend refers to Hecuba murdering the king of Thrace after he murdered her son, his ward. The punishment of the gods for this act is to turn her into a dog. Unfair, yes, but in the world of the Olympians, it's all who you know, and it's never fair. The long-suffering Hecuba, now in Canaan form, is adopted by the compassionate Ekati. Plays, tales, poems, and artwork in story form continue to embellish the work of the great poets. Another companion animal of the goddess is the polecat, the critter favored by ancient Greeks for mouse control. Maybe this is a crossover from her days as a household deity, but the polecat, formerly a woman named Galinthias, became Ekati's companion in a similar way to Hecuba. The more popular story is that Galinthias was the midwife to Alcmene, the mother of Heracles. The goddess Hera is enraged that Alcmene is pregnant by her husband, serial polygamous Zeus. Zeus gets away with his bad behavior once again, so Alcmene is chosen to pay the price. Hera persuades the lesser god of childbirth, Elithia, to interfere in the child's birth. Yes, there are multiple goddesses that claim childbirth as their territory. By the time this story came about, Ecate had already moved into the role of the mysterious denizen of the underworld. Elythea sits outside of Alcmene's room and crosses her arms and legs, preventing the birth of baby Heracles. After a few hours watching the pregnant woman suffer, Galinthia slyly announces that the baby has been born, startling the goddess of childbirth into uncrossing herself, which allows Alcmene to give birth. In retaliation, Ilithia turns Galinthius into a polecat or possibly a cat, depending on the version you hear. Ecate adopts another stray human-turned-animal. In time Ecate would be seen in artwork surrounded by serpents and poisonous plants, a nod to her growing reputation as a deity of magic and necromancy. The plants would be used by her sorcerer apprentices to cast spells and create potions and poisons. Her singular image as a young woman in a long robe carrying lit torches soon transmogrifies into a goddess with three bodies, representing her triple threat for power over earth, heaven, and Tartarus now, the lowest level of the underworld, where the bad folks are tormented. And to emphasize her association with the crossroads, as goddess of crossroads, her form can now see in all directions at the same time. 5th century BCE sculptor Alchemines may have been the first to make three images of Ekati attached to one another. Pillars and columns of her form, called Ekations, were built at crossroads, city gates, and doorways to repulse evil spirits, protect travelers, and those in homes, temples, and other important buildings. According to the Acropolis Museum, a statue of Ekati either stood on the tower of the Temple of Athena Nike because Ekati was also a protector of towers, or at the gateway to the Acropolis. She was serious business now if she was protecting the gateway to the temples of the Olympians. Ekati stood between life and death, good and bad, light and dark. Now, petitioners for her protection could leave offerings and sacrifices during the light of a full moon, at crossroads, road junctions, doorways, any type of boundary, a wall, a threshold, or a place in between. Like if you had two walls and there was six inches in between, she's the goddess of that. Ask for Ekati's protection in any of these places. I was incensed to find out that sometimes dogs were sacrificed because of her love for them, which sounds counterintuitive and barbaric. The more benign offerings were known as the Supper of Ekati, Worldhistory.org lists these meals as small cakes of eggs, cheese, bread, or a dish of red mullet. Red mullet was special for Akati. This lingers, perhaps, from her status as patron goddess of fishermen and those that work in the sea. You see, all those wrote in Theogony, and upon those who on the gray-green, the hard racking sea make a living, and they pray to Akati and to the deep, thunderous Earthshaker, which she also becomes known as, And lightly the high goddess grants a great haul of fish. And lightly too she takes it away when it is shown, if such is her pleasure. Fickle as the rest of the gods. She can bring bounty or dangle it in front of her worshippers and take it away. Ekati further transforms when three different heads appear on her three bodies. The head of a lion, of a dog, and of a mare. The lion, dog, and horse reference the constellations that cover the calendar year. Halos of moonbeams often top these heads, representing the importance of the moon in her legend as goddess of the night and necromancy. Soon, Ekati's companions include the Erineas, who Graves calls personified pangs of conscience. They tormented those who broke taboos, the first and foremost of which were those who insulted, were disobedient to, or were violent towards a mother. This may shed light on why Greek moms are so intimidating. One can almost imagine ancient mothers warning misbehaving children or drunken husbands that they would suffer the wrath of Ecate and her minions. Petitioners could still ask for self-passage along roads or in the dark of night. In fact, Ecate's spooky evolution, they might have felt compelled to do so. If they were fearful of something or experiencing bad luck, they could make offerings to appease her and, Agent Origin says, any restless dead accompanying her. The hellhounds and the snakes and the solid, horrific manifestations of guilt aren't enough. Now Akati trails restless spirits and has become known as the Queen of Ghosts. In Morford and Leonardin's classic mythology, we're told, crossroads are considered the center of ghostly activities, particularly in the dead of night. Graves says that through Siodos, we can see the Hellenes from the 3rd century to the end of the 1st century BCE emphasized her destructive powers at the expense of creative ones until at last she was invoked only in clandestine rites of black magic, especially at places where three roads met. She's getting major spooky. Even when she's portrayed as a mother, Things get a little disturbing. Morphred and Lenardin say Akati was the mother of Scylla. Scylla is the modern Greek word for dog. She was another unfortunate maiden who attracted the attentions of the wrong people. Poseidon, brother of Zeus and king of the seas, lusted after her. Poseidon's wife takes it out on Scylla, turning her into an enormous monster with 12 tentacles and 6 heads, sometimes described as dog heads, which maybe explains her name. She's banished to the Straits of Messina to prey on ships that try to pass between her and the whirlpool, Charybdis. She snatches sailors from the decks of ships with her razor-sharp teeth. The only warning the sailors have before she strikes is a horrific dog-like howling that strikes terror into the hearts of any who hear it. In one reference, the sorceress Circe, who lured Jason and his Argonauts onto her island and entertained them before turning them into beasts, was said to be Ekati's daughter. Ekati is also the mother of the Abusa, which to the ancient Greeks were shape-shifting female demons or ghouls that seduced and then fed upon young men, particularly travelers. If Ecate had children, they were either a terrifying and hideous monster that echoed her mother's companions in her unhearthly howls, shape-shifting demon vampires, or an evil enchantress. Unless you read Madeline Miller's excellent novel Circe, then you realize, like most of the women in Greek myths, she's embattled and fighting to find her way. The Orphic Hymns, a third or second century BCE collection of religious poems from the cult of the mythic character Orpheus, describes Akati in detail. She is, in addition to the goddess of the crossroads, the goddess of the dead who presides over deserted places. Her sacred animals are dogs, deer, and wild predators now. And, says Graves, she is the real ruler of Tartarus, actual hell. Edith Hamilton, who wrote Mythology, every high school student's introduction to Greek and Roman mythology, tells us, Ekati was the goddess of the dark of the moon, the black nights when the moon's hidden. She was associated with deeds of darkness, the goddess of the crossways, which are held to be ghostly places of evil magic, an awful divinity. In the 3rd century BCE epic poem Argomatica by Apollyonus, the hero warrior Jason, yeah, that Jason, is getting ready to go into battle and seeks the goddess's protection. He makes a moonlit offering to Akati, who is already on her way to being horror movie worthy. Quote, from the uttermost depths the dread goddess heard him and approached the sacrifice jason had offered her whole person entwined with terrible serpents countless torches dazzled and flared while all around her a pack of clamorous hounds bayed shrilly the meadows shook when she walked nymphs wailed fear shook the common folk she was terrifying now By now, any suppliant is advised that after they have prepared their sacrifice for Akati, they should turn their back and not let footsteps or barking dogs cause them to look behind them or the spell would be ruined. I was thinking they would be turned into something, but you look behind you, the spell could be ruined. Never mind during the spell. I don't want to see what's stomping up behind me shaking the ground with hellhounds howling and snakes and soul-sucking demons and the restless dead all along for the ride. Respectfully, take my offering and I'm out of here. Although if I were an ancient Greek, I'm not sure how eager I'd be to invoke this particular deity in the first place. Later in the Argonautica, Jason covers himself with a potion his wife, Medea, gives him to protect him. Medea was a girl skilled in drug magic taught by Ekati. Apollonius explains, a man, after placating with nocturnal sacrifice Ekati, will smear the potion on his body of a surety he'd be invulnerable to strokes of bronze. For one day, in both prowess and physical might, he'd surpass all others. Jason wins his battle and tosses aside Medea. For a princess, the daughter of an ally in the war recently won, he only wants to persuade Medea to let him see their two sons. She quietly seeks her revenge. T'were best to take the shortest way we women are most skilled, by poison to destroy them. She calls an Akati, by that dread queen whom I revere before all others and have chosen to share my task, by Akati, who dwells within my inmost chamber. She sends her sons to the palace of the princess's father with a gift for the new bride, a poisoned crown which kills Jason's new amour when she places it on her head. Her father, the king of Corinth, tries to help his daughter, and touching the crown also falls dead. Medea kills her two sons as well to punish their father. It's through Akati's teachings and approbation that the king of Corinth and his daughter are dead. And the two innocent children of Medea and Jason. What happened to Ekati, the protector of children? She's become the goddess to invoke revenge and mayhem. Ekati has become an increasingly menacing deity. Jason sacrifices and prays for her protection. He survives battle. Medea calls on the goddess and makes use of magic learned from her to kill everyone Jason cares about. Even being on the good side of this goddess won't protect you if someone with a grudge against you has an even stronger case of loyalty to her. This brings us to one of the most interesting and creepy things about Agati. She figured large in what is known as the Greek Magical Papyri. It's a collection of documents from the Greco-Roman Egypt, mostly written in ancient Greek, dated from the 2nd century BCE to the 5th century CE. Remember, some of the line of pharaohs were actually Greeks who had great influence on that latter period of ancient Egyptian history. And then Julius Caesar pushed his way into the mix. I included a link to the translation I found for the documents on our sources page. The Greek magical papyri may be where references to Akati are most common. These documents are actually a series of spells, rituals, and formulas. Magic. Rituals for conjuring Ekati abound. They refer to the untiring flame and to her dog companions. They beckon the goddess of the night with the dread voice. Spells invoking Ekati include those to be used for coercion. And there are curse tablets invoking her. She's gotten really dark now. Ekati's petitioners would inscribe the tablets with the spell or curse, invoke the goddess's help, and bury them in the ground. Most of these cursed tablets were personal vendettas. One that was uncovered by archeologists refers to a legal battle. I will quote the tablet here. Let Pharenicus be bound before Hermes and Ecati. May Pharenicus and his things be held in no esteem and be cold, and so for the things Pharenicus's collaborators say and plot concerning me. I suspect Pharenicus had a good case against the petitioner, and so this guy was doing what he could to foil him and whatever witnesses. I wonder how the story finally played out, and I wonder how many cursed tablets still lay buried underneath ancient soil, waiting to be discovered. Cursed tablets, as the LNNs continue to emphasize the destructive and fearsome qualities of Vecati, coincide with a heralded display of allegiance as she's glorified for battling alongside the Olympians yet again. In the second century BCE, Eumenes II, the Greek king of Pergamon, a city in Asia Minor, built the opulent, impressive Pergamon altar, the altar of Zeus, a fabulous tribute to the king of the gods. He built it on the Acropolis of Pergamon. Acropolis literally meaning the highest point of his city. So there were many Acropole throughout Greece. The altar to Zeus was huge, seven foot high marble, 370 feet long. That's 2.13 meters high by 122.8 meters long. Wrapping around the lower part of the building is a marble frieze depicting the scenes of the Olympian gods battling giants. Giants versus Olympian gods was a popular theme in classical times. Library of Greek mythology attributed to, the, uh, to Apollodorus of Athens, a uh, respected scholar of the second century cites this very event. He called it the revolt of the giants. Gaia, the earth, infuriated by the fall of the titans brought about by the Olympians, gives birth to the giants, conceived with Uranos, the sky. These were unsurpassable in size, unassailable in their strength, and fearful to behold, and they threw rocks and flaming trees at the heavens. Only problem. The gods had an oracle saying they could not kill the giants by themselves. They had to have a mortal join them in the fight. So Heracles, son of Zeus, and a mortal woman, jumped into the battle. Good thing Ecati's sidekick, Galinthius, made sure that Heracles was born. Apollodorus describes each god's part in the battle, aided by Heracles. The story depicted on the frieze encircling the altar of Zeus at Pergamon. The altar is one of the most important examples of Hellenic art still surviving. The frieze is called the Gigantomake. Gigantomake? I don't know. And is described by Berlin archaeology as the battle for cosmic supremacy between the Olympians and a race of primordial giants. This incredible work of marble has over 100 larger than life size figures carved into it, showing different scenes of the ferocious battle. And Akati figures large in it. Each of the 12 Olympians, plus Akati and Eticles, battle their own monster. The frieze portrays the three headed Akati, this time with human heads, and multiple weapons in her many hands, fending off the attack of the giant Klytios, who has the lower body of a serpent and holds a boulder over his head, prepared to crush Akati with it. It seems that was forged to target Akati's powers. He was meant to neutralize her in battle. But Akati is a force to be reckoned with. Her companion dog bites the giant as Akati scorches him with her ever-present burning torches. Legend says she sets fire to Clitios, killing him, once again proving herself a valuable ally to the gods in charge. The frieze reads left to right, a story carved in relief where the characters are so lifelike and three-dimensional they seem to jump out at the viewer. The ancient Greeks would have been familiar with the traits of each god and Akati is easily identifiable. We have a link in the podcast notes and on the website for a video from the channel Exploring Art with Alessandro that explains how a German archaeologist unearthed the altar and shipped the pieces back to Berlin where it was reconstructed. A museum was built around the altar in the early 20th century, and Alessandro has some nice visuals, although not of Ekati. In any case, this iconic piece of history cements the importance of Ekati in the Greek god Pantheon. Even as her popularity grew and fell in ancient Greece, her powers shifted from relatively benign to disturbingly malicious, Ekati remained a less important deity than the Twelve Olympians. But there were areas of the ancient Greek world where she figured prominently. The historian Pafsanio says Ekati was most worshiped by the people of Aegina, who believed that Orpheus, the mythic figure with the ancient cult, established rites of the goddess on their island. He goes on, the island of Aegina had a mystery cult dedicated to the goddess, where it was believed those suffering from mental illness could be cured. Other areas worshipped her more fervently than the average Greek region, including Kos, Erythe, Samothraki, Thessaly, Milotos. In Lagina, a Carian city-state in Asia Minor, Ekati was celebrated in festivals where sacrifices were made in her honor and eunuchs served at her temple. At times throughout ancient Greece, Ekati was associated with Artemis, the goddess of the hunt, and Selene, goddess of the moon. Ekati continued to figure in Roman mythology, which was adopted from Greek mythology. She appears in the epic Roman poem, The Aeneid, where she rules as a cruel, punishing goddess of hell. There are statues and columns throughout Rome where she was often referred to as trivia for her three-part form. Oxford Classics Dictionary says of Agati, she was outlandish in her infernal aspects. She is more at home on the fringes than in the center of Greek polytheism. She straddles conventional boundaries and eludes definition. Ancient Greece had two sacred days celebrating Ekati, August 13th and November 30th. I'd have to do a lot more digging to find out how they were celebrated and why those days. Pretty much all the sites I found referencing Ekati festivals were Wicca sites. She's pretty popular with that religion. Uh, there's even like cookbooks and uh, herbologies. Um, and she, and she's now known as the goddess of witchcraft in Wicca. The internet is full of replica Ekati sculptures in the ways Wicca celebrates her. Kind of cool sites to visit. Ekati continues to command respect, and she continues to fascinate. I like to take Sayed Rafid Kabir on historycooperative.org. He said, if you thought goth girls didn't exist back in the day, think again. He also says she would have taught at Hogwarts, and I can't argue with that. She would have made an awesome professor of the dark arts. Ekati makes an appearance in a couple of Rick Reardon's Percy Jackson and the Olympian novels. And yes, she would have made an excellent Halloween episode. But considering the stories I grew up with, almost all the Greek myths would have made good Halloween episodes. Thanks for listening. Greek Like Me is a Stealth Greek production. This episode was researched, written, and narrated by me, your host, Pamela Wood. Our producer, photographer, and post-production editor is Douglas John. Extra help in the research department by Eduardo Gill. Visit our website at stealthgreek.com for resources, photos, links, and more. Please rate, like, and subscribe. It helps us to get noticed so we can keep making content about Greeks and Greek culture. Find Greek Like Me on Facebook or on Instagram at greek underscore like underscore me. See you next time. Yes.